Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by my friend Bryce Mangun. In this episode, Bryce and I discuss his initial rejection of religion as resistance to control and the life events that later drove him to connect with spirituality, including as a means to heal from Lyme disease. From there, we discuss Bryce's use of energy healing, crystals, and tactics like Moldavite to deepen his spiritual practice and overcome his dark night of the soul. We then discuss Bryce's experiences with the close encounters of the fifth kind protocols and his interactions with beings from beyond our world. After that, we talk about magic, Reiki healing, the chakra system, connecting to source, witchcraft, dark energy, and spirit guides. Also, I'd highly encourage all the listeners to check out the last three minutes of the episode, as my incredibly talented friends Jonas DeGregorio and Christina Soriano were kind enough to provide the original music, Ocean Floor Das Aguas, for the episode. And finally, one exciting announcement in Bryce's life. The day after we recorded this episode, Bryce received a fortuitous and synchronistic opportunity, and he will be filming a television pilot with Gaia set to air later this year. To me, this is another clear-cut example of life happening for us, not to us, and that we have the power to manifest the life we want to create. And for those of you going through dark times right now, and as you'll hear on this episode, Bryce has been through some dark shit. You've got to keep your head up. Those dark times that appear to be nightmares in the moment are often, in hindsight, the greatest gifts for achieving your dreams. As Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. With that, please enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. Today, I've got with me my friend Bryce Mangun. Bryce, how are you doing today? I'm great, sir. Glad to be here. Awesome. Bryce is someone I've been really honored to get to meet and know a little bit along my spiritual journey, and hopefully we'll be able to get into a little bit of uh, where Bryce and I met. But with further ado, Bryce, why don't you take it away and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, sir. I'm a walking duality, I suppose. I feel like I've lived 10 lifetimes in this short 31 years at this point. And um, actually, when we can dip into this a little bit later on, but that's kind of related to numerology. I'm a life path number of five, and that's change and uh, a lot of freedom. And I think it's kind of reflected, and I've learned to embrace the beautiful chaos. And I'm sure we'll get into that as we go along. But my my heart and my mind have really opened up to this world over the course of the last few years and um, the journey that I've been on and it's healed, it's helped and it helps me see the world through completely different eyes and I want to help share that. So Bryce, and, to kick things off, where did you grow up? Denton, Texas. Little D. What was it like in Denton, Texas? It's a really cool town, actually. The slogan for Austin and Portland are keep Austin or keep Portland weird. And as a little play on that, the slogan for Denton is keep Denton beard because of all the hippies there. (laughs) 
And um, it's just this wonderful little artsy community, the kind of place that doesn't really matter the weeknight that you're going out, you're going to see bands playing, you're going to see people doing art in the streets, yoga on the square. It's weird for someone who grew up despising being from the deep South. I've grown to be just so proud of my little community and all the beautiful people that live here. So shout out to Little Bean. <laughs> and uh, did you grow up religious? I myself have always felt a connection to source, whether I knew it or not. But like the story of many people, religion itself, that caging box of religion was forced on me. I grew up in a Christian church, the kind of place where as an artsy kid, I was drawing, you know, little monsters and things like that. And um, I would get reprimanded for drawing demonic things and feeling guilty about being what speaks to my soul from the very beginning. And uh, that's a very important part of my path. It ended up leading in a completely different direction, which we can go into. So in a sense, yes, I did grow up religious. And which path or which direction did it take? Well, when something is forced upon you and you're not able to fully speak your soul, you inevitably end up rebelling. And so I ended up growing up the punk rocker path, the, uh, the angry atheist type kid. And the anger is, it's such a corrupting emotion because I was not angry because I was an angry person or I I've always been the peacemaker and I was angry at the way others treated one another, the, the control with organized religion, with family and school and, and society at large. I wanted to push away from that. And your natural reaction as a angsty teenager is, is to rebel a little bit. That was just my way. And it, it was great in a sense that it always gave me something inspired to write as far as music, lyrically, whether it's poetry or, or painting, anything like that. It was always a big influence. But that kind of emotion is not something that's sustainable. And I think it is a very corruptive force. So there's got to be another way that we can channel our frustration with society and with the world. That's inevitably what I had to learn. It just takes a long time. Were there any major events or realizations that led you to the current direction of the spiritual path that you're on now? Absolutely. It's kind of a natural progression from someone whom, like I had mentioned before, from childhood, I remember feeling this profound connection with the universe. I remember seeing orbs of light. I remember asking my parents about it, and they ended up asking the doctors. And it was just like, oh, you know, kid, children are just seeing things, you know, that kind of thing. And there's this progression over time of forgetting who we really are. And um, following and walking the spiritual path is just a remembrance of who we are. And that's not something that happens overnight. So a major series of events, typically it takes something traumatic to shake us out of our perspective and in our world. So I think like a lot of other people, the pandemic was one of those, the catalysts to waking up. 
but it was, I was well on my way before that. I had been meditating and receiving downloads and signs from a higher source for many years. But I suppose things just really kicked into overdrive afterwards. I have a background as a musician and in the uh, entertainment industry, doing festivals and tour management. And when the world shut down, you know, my life shut down and I'm, I'm stuck in a box with my partner at the time. Like many other people, I think that time being stuck together without a major outlet of creativity, or for me specifically, my heart is just constantly drawn to the horizon, not being able to travel, the only thing to do was to go inward, which in a sense led to the loss of the relationship as well. So I'm 30 years old without my business that I started, without my passion of music and creativity, without my love. And without a home. And uh, that's what I was greeted at with at 30. I should backtrack a little bit as well. A huge part of it, and I mentioned healing, is that in 2013, I was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. I had been living in the northern woods of Minnesota, just constantly outside, growing my own vegetables and, and hiking and kayaking and all of that. And it's what happens to a lot of people who spend a lot of time outdoors up north. So that was something that I had been battling for many, many years. The energy levels, the depression and mood swings actually is a big part of it because Lyme's disease itself, it actually does work its way into our neural cortex and starts to mess with the way that we see the world. So aside from the major traumatic life events, I had already been searching for answers because like so many people... I ran out of opportunities for healing, real healing with Western medicine. And they, I feel no qualms about calling that whole system out, that the American healthcare system is completely broken. And uh, for the most part, we don't heal. We cover the symptoms, you know, because sick people are not valuable, unfortunately. So where do you turn to? You turn to the energy workers, the light workers, the herbalists, what would be categorized as natural witches only a hundred years ago. These are the people that are turning to the great spirit and uh, looking for real guidance to heal ourselves the way that we were supposed to. And I found a lot of that. And as a side effect of healing the body, because this is a, we are multidimensional beings. I believe as I heal my body, you become more in tune. And when you become more in tune, your reality starts to shift. What are some of the ways that your reality has started to shift? I, I had always been interested in meditation, at least for the last decade. At the very least, for a long time, it was less about what was being received to me, as in downloads and vision work and the major clairs psychic powers, let's call it what it is. For the most time, for, the, for that 10-year period, I was meditating just to, which is, what is the point of meditation? It's practice for death. I, I think that's one of the ways uh, Buddhists categorize the main form of meditation is just becoming one with the cosmic nothingness, I suppose, and just being and sitting in that and seeing what comes of it. When you do that for long enough, we have a tiny organ 
hidden in the center of our brains called the pineal. And as that starts to open up, it's related to our upper chakras. We start to become a radio signal basically for the veil beyond. And um, as I said, you meditate long enough and you start to receive very, very powerful insights, inspiration, creativity, and visions that can be completely life altering at the way that you view the world very similar to a psychedelic mushroom trip and with some of these with some of this vision work it's not only powerful in the sense of what you know and what you experience and it's so hard to be able to categorize a lot of these experiences but there were physical changes and healings that happened miraculously and this is where we can dip into energy healings because there was a moment I can give an example if you'd like Jordan there was a moment where I was meditating deep state of meditation on aligning my chakras as I'm in the void of nothingness and just very peaceful I start to focus in and I see this um holy geometrics they're often a, a sign that you're entering that other void realm these fractural geometrics start to come in and they end up showing the face of a wolf a jaguar and a bear and up until this point i really had not ever had any interactions with any totem animals or spirit animals even though i had already been receiving a lot of insights from my guides so it, it opened up into a, a full scene where we're in the deep, deep forest together. And it was the closest thing that I could ever think of to a family reunion. This was soul bonds that go beyond time and lives. It felt like the warmest, we're, we're rolling together around, you know, the, the bear and the jaguar and the wolf and I, and it just, it, it was so powerful, this reunion and this, returning to home as I'm really focusing in on them, then their faces break up into these holy fractural geometrics again and reform into the shape of the Kabbalistic cross. And now this cross and I, even at this point being very spiritual, I, I have no problem with different parts of Christianity. I mean, Christianity, um, the Bible was one of the greatest books written on magic ever. It's just how do you, how you look and interpret and what, what verses and version of the Bible you're actually reading. But it was very interesting to me that the, the Kabbalistic cross came to me. This blue healing light started to beam down from the cross that's above me, which I've learned the blue light is often an indicator of the energies of Archangel Michael with his blue flames. So that's kind of was the beginning of that relationship as well. But in this moment, as this cross is hovering over me, after I had spent time with my spirit animals, I felt this release that went up my spine and I'm laying down and I had this full body in real time convulsion. And it just felt, it was a transmutation. It was uh, maybe a mini ego death. It was a little bit like, a massive weight had been just lifted from my shoulders and that was healing. 
And in that moment, so many of the worries and cares that I had been meditating on for a year at that point left like that. And they haven't bothered me since. That's one example of a uh, profound spiritual healing. Wow. That's amazing. And you use the word transmutation, and I'm curious what that means to you. Transmutation, by classic definition, I suppose, would be allowing your shadow side energy, your any negativity that's harbored inside of us, allowing it to leave fully. I think at that point, if you are transmuting, you have integrated it fully into your system, you've processed your emotions, and now it's time for a release. And this can be emotional, this can be physical. That's where Reiki comes from. Rei is heaven, Ki is earth, emotional and physical. In this case, it ended up being more of a, uh, with that particular example, it was more of an emotional healing. And it's interesting that I felt it in my spine as well, because Jordan, um, there's this saying related to Kundalini that God lives in our spines. And to feel that vibration and that power shooting up the spine, I, I knew this was, this was one of those moments that I was, had been waiting for. Wow. So did you experience that Kundalini? I don't think so fully. I don't want to say that because it actually last week I uh, finished my final Reiki attunement with my master and we ended up going into that. So many spiritual people want to jump into that. They had a, uh, a Kundalini awakening. The thing is, is that if you had a true Kundalini awakening without a full chakra alignment and you were not in that perfect space, it could actually be uh, deadly. There are people that have died from that. Very, very powerful. So I'm, I, I think I've had partial awakenings. It's chakra openings, getting that energy to flow, but I, I'm not there yet. I will be mm-hmm. in time. You're definitely one of, if not the best meditators I know. And I'm curious how you initially got into the practice and how you've developed it over time. Like so many other people, I really didn't have a reference point. It was just shut everything off and uh, get quiet, see what happens. Things really started to to heat up when I took meditation out into nature. And one of we were talking about transmutation. I think one of the most natural transmuters out there are the trees. Sitting underneath of a tree is so healing, and they can absorb that negative energy. Mm. and ground it down to the earth to mother gaia and release it for you but that that's a little bit more heavy practice i suppose along the way but we're talking years of of just spending that quiet contemplative time as i learned more about natural aids like crystals i would start to incorporate that in uh, in different ways lithium quartz amethyst of course one of my favorites labradite Labradite is um, a very high vibrational stone that's going to aid in, in meditation and Moldavite as well, which you'll see is around my neck. I kind of have an interesting story related to that if you'd like to hear it as well, real quick. Yeah, I would love to hear that. So there's so many stories going around the internet right now, Moldavite stories. 
Moldavite, from what I've learned and have experienced now, is uh, very much Kali energy in Hinduism. Kali is the great destroyer. Kali is going to completely mess your world up and tear everything down from you in order to rebuild you along your true path, the way that you're supposed to. Very similar in energy in these stones. Very high vibrational, but people are afraid. And they're afraid for good reason because their world is about to be shaken up. I was one of those people. Within two weeks of having my Moldavite, I lost my house, I lost my car, I lost my job, and I got a divorce all in that time period. And I am so thankful. Was it hell in the moment? Absolutely. But it was completely necessary to shed the things that were not serving me and to get me into a place where I needed to where I needed to be to truly align. So Moldavite, very powerful and um, just needs to be treated with reverence and, and respect and know what you're getting into. Now we're besties. <laughs> yeah. And would love to learn more about your experience with the Moldavite. Cause I remember you telling me about this the last time we were together and I found it so fascinating. So We'd love to hear both sides of the coin in that sense. We'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience going through your dark night of the soul after you first got it. And then on the flip side, how having gone through that, it's enhanced your spiritual practice. Absolutely. And there was a major part of this that's going to mean a lot to you as well, because we both have share a great passion for connecting with our star family and, um, taking people out and, and doing CE5 trips, which we'll go into a little bit more later on. Very similar time period is when Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind by the great documentary by Dr. Greer came out. And I had always had a, a curiosity and fascination with anything beyond the stars. However, getting the idea that you could consciously project your intention and your consciousness, which made sense to me at the time because I'd already been practicing magic and uh, different forms of earth magic, candle magic, high magic, and um, other spiritual and esoteric type principles. And it just all made sense to me that we can project our consciousness out into the cosmos and humbly ask our friends that are in the stars if it's safe and comfortable for them to do to do so to come down and interact with us and i'm not one of those people to contemplate on an idea too long i had to do it so i instantly got a group of people together in denton that i knew would take this very seriously and on our first experience i had what is probably one of the most important religious experiences religious spiritual experiences in my life at that point was when within an hour we called down this incredible orb of light that appeared above the tree lines after our meditation and hovered and interacted with us for over 10 minutes we caught it we saw it with our eyes we were absolutely we just we you, you don't know what to say in that moment until you've you've actually experienced it and um you know, we saw it up close and personal, but we had night vision cameras. We were recording it. Wow. And so we, from the very get-go, 
they were ready and, and willing to interact. And uh, it's just taken off from there. The only reason this is connected with my dark night of the soul is the time period. And it was my interactions with the ETs are just as powerful, if not more than some of the vision work that I've done. How has the crystal, or what's it called? It's not a crystal, right? The uh, yeah. Moldavite? Moldavite, yeah. Yeah, Moldavite technically is not a crystal. It's a tektite. Um, right. It's about 3 billion years ago, somewhere near Russia, a giant asteroid collided with Earth and gave off such incredible heat that when it melded with the, uh, the natural components of our Earth in that area, it formed this cosmic glass. So mm-hmm. this is technically a tactite. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's the word I, that was escaping me. So how has the tactite enhanced your spiritual practice in recent months as you gotten to know it better, built a relationship with it? I don't know the right, the proper terminology. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what it promises to do. It shakes up your world dismisses and eliminates everything that is no longer serving you once that's done when you are near or wearing that energy or meditating with that energy it helps you connect with your source your higher self and the best way i could describe it in a regular 3d waking life is it just gives you this sense of you are who you are supposed to be you're doing what you're supposed to be doing you're speaking your truth. It has, it's like that little friend that's just tapping you in your heart chakra going, keep it up, buddy. You're doing the right thing. This is where we're supposed to be. So you, you won't catch me many days without it around my neck at this point. So yeah, you mentioned that that very first CE5 experience was one of the most spiritual experiences up to your life in that point. And so would maybe taking a step back, because some of the listeners may not be familiar, could you explain what that is and then how your journey with CE5 has grown since that first experience? Absolutely. What the, the orb of light is, I suppose, is that your question? That as well as what like CE5 is and what that means? Completely. CE5 stands for the fifth category of having an interaction with a being from beyond our realm. I've since learned that it uh, goes beyond the veil of ETs who are living, breathing people, just like us, only from a different part of the galaxy. It goes beyond to beings of light, the angelic realm. It depends on what you are trying to tune into. I cannot actually say that that first experience was technically an ET. I I don't know. And I I try to go through the majority of my life open and without categorizing everything that I see. What I saw was out out of the void of the air, a perfect ball of light this pure light that is in the middle of the night by the way that goes beyond the light of the sun appears out of nothingness and it can is able to completely dissolve and then reappear which it did multiple times since then with other ce5s i've seen their ships where it was much more of a fully formed 
craft that you can see going through our atmosphere. But there are many different ways that they can come in and phase in and out of this reality. That's kind of the uh, the point of CE5. And again, CE5 is human-initiated contact. We're not waiting around for them to come to us. We are going out and humbly asking our friends if they would come and have an interaction with us. And nine times out of 10, if you are a good-hearted person, they are more than willing to show and, and be there. They're, they're here all the time. And I can tell you since these experiences, how many times I've seen them now without even attempting the CE5, going my business. Hmm. They're there. What are some of the other uh, more profound experiences you've had since that first time? It's quite a few. There's one that I don't want to dismiss because this was more vision work, but it's the first time that I've had the closest thing to a face-to-face interaction with a being from beyond our world. I was meditating with my Moldavite and I found myself on a, uh, a crystalline table in a crystalline type environment with these columns that went up. Everything was crystal. And I'm laying there and above me is this about 12 foot tall being very similar to the grays, but she wasn't a gray. I don't think she was what I would maybe call a master healer. And you'll understand why here in a moment, very tall and grayish translucent skin with the classic large eyes and staring closely at her, at her flesh. It was as if the cosmos were wrapped inside of her. I could see galaxies and stars almost at, a, at almost a standstill type pace, just rotating underneath her skin. And it, it, in a way, there's that principle that the entire universe is folded inside of us, so it makes sense. I say she, even though there was no obvious gender, simply because we were able to interact in one another with one another by telepathy. That's the language that goes beyond our realm. We're all able to communicate that way. And um, she just gave off the most loving, intense maternal energy that I had ever experienced up until that point. She picks me up, takes me by the hand and picks me up off of the crystalline table. And I'm standing at about her, uh, her, uh, her upper breast shoulder type area. And I'm looking up at her this light starts to come out of her third eye and awaken from her third eye. And she leans down and takes me by the back of the head like this and just embraces me to her head and and calmly, gently puts her head in her third eye against my third eye. That energy was transferred out of her into me, shot up through all the way from my root chakra, all the way to the crown, and then shot out beyond the stars. I thanked her again, similar to the other very profound physical healing with the Quabalist cross and the spirit animals. I had a full body in this reality, shaking, convulsing type experience. And it was over. 
and that was it. That was, but that was just wow. in a meditation. I can go on with other CE5 examples of seeing crafts and ships. And actually, my friend, I think we should we should talk a little bit about our experience. That uh, yeah, totally. Together, I would love to do that. And if you've got any photos or, or videos that we could share on the Instagram page, that would be great too from your uh, from your experiences. I've actually shared the video from uh, our experience in Golden. So actually, why don't we uh, why don't we talk about that now? Well, you want to dive into the story of how you and I met, and then our CE five experience in uh, here in Golden. Jordan and I, we actually met on the second day of us meeting Dr. Greer at Gaia's campus in Boulder. And uh, really exciting couple of days, exciting to be around, you know, your soul tribe of people that understand you and have shared similar experiences. And, um, you know, you and I just kind of hit it off immediately from the beginning. And, you know, we couldn't talk that much that day because we were so locked in with Dr. Greer's teachings. And of course, while we're there, why not go out into the mountains as one should and uh, connect with the universe? So, you know, we uh, took one of your friends up to Golden and did a, a CE5 experience. One of the most basic tools that you use during CE5 after our meditations to consciously call in the friends, the beings, we use lasers to help point out their craft appearing in, in the, this reality up in the sky for the people that are maybe not paying attention as much. It's really just a tool to help point them out. And then at that point, you're not going to lose them again until they're ready to go because it's such an awe-inspiring experience. <laughs> but this was the first time that I had used the laser pointer to point out the craft that came in and it was as if they were playing tag with our laser pointer. And, and it was the first time I had ever seen anything like this. I would point at the laser at one specific part of the sky and they would beam over there instantly. And then I would maybe zigzag pattern the laser and it would, the craft would zigzag back and forth and mimic what we were doing and then appear on the other side. And it was so playful and fun and gave a sense of personality with some of these beings because you know we're we're not able to sit there right now and have a conversation with them but that interaction said everything that we needed to know that they they were there to just have a little fun with us and and mess around and interact that we're all conscious beings and and that's what living life is about is just play and fun and that's really what that experience was that's why it was so profound and the yeah. fact that you caught it on camera makes it even more beautiful that experience we've got a uh, video posted on on uh, the entangled instagram page if people want to check it out and you know it's interesting you mentioned the playfulness of it because for me that was that was the first and actually only time i've seen what i'll call like visible material experiences of them of a being right but i've had a number of experiences during meditation with consciousness experiments, a lot of times on psychedelics. So people are naturally going to doubt the legitimacy of those experiences a bit more, which I fully understand. But nonetheless, one of the first experiences I had with 
consciousness was I, uh, I took about hundred micrograms of LSD and then did the CE5 protocols for my apartment. And then after I did that, I was just playing a bunch of music, like recording songs, singing in my apartment. And just at one point I just felt this, this jam that happened. It's me playing with me dancing. Yeah. So uh, it was, uh, it was a really cool introduction that also to me felt very much like, you know, this is, we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we are here for fun, for passion, for love, to experience and for joy. And um, there's really everyone searching for the meaning of life. It's whatever you created. But the real point of us being here is to have a human experience. And you're missing out if you're not having fun. People take this stuff way, way too seriously. <laughs> or they take the wrong things too seriously. There are <laughs> totally take with reverence and, and with caution, but uh, that's not what most of this is about. I want to back up and come to your defense a little bit there for anyone who may be doubting the legitimacy of any psychedelic experiences. There are different brain waves that we attune into every single day, whether you know it or not. And um, our average waking cycle is um, alpha, delta, beta, and gamma. And um, you are in a particular brainwave throughout your conscious day, through in it when you're in a meditative state, when you are falling asleep, when you're in deep sleep, and then when you're coming out of it. There are many, many, many other categories of consciousness. What this means is, is that people think that when they are taking and having a psychedelic experience, that this is all purely in the mind and that this is a party thing. Well, there's a reason why healers and shamanic practices have been, practitioners have been utilizing plant medicine for a millennia. And it's because this is just purely a tool to help us move into another state of consciousness that you could do yourself equally as well, if not even more powerfully in a meditative state. But if you are not the initiated and you have not spent years practicing, you can have a healing psychedelic experience that can be fun, that can be a blast, that could be, let's call it like it is, terrifying. It will show you what you need to experience. And part of the terrifying shadow stuff is the sort of things that you need to heal and integrate and release and let go. So to wrap all of it up, when you are having on a LSD trip, a, a mushroom trip, whatever your tool of choice, it is just opening up the realms that are uh, just hidden behind the veil of our regular waking consciousness. That's awesome. And I appreciate you clarifying that because I, uh, I also hate when people conflate psychedelics with this party drug. And now people are slowly, but surely acknowledging, okay, there's mental health benefits and it's like, yes. And there's actually a lot more going on here. And uh, there's, there's some fascinating theories, even from like guys like Terrence McKenna, that they may have been sent from aliens because they actually travel through interstellar space really well and could have even contained biological information and embedded in the spores, some of the more uh, abstract theories, but nonetheless, you know, who, who knows, but. Well, how um, abstract, really Jordan, when we already know that our genetic material that we're made up of is information. Water holds information. We are, what is it, 75% water? Our 
beingness and even beyond our, this world holds information. And so, of course, there is that coding hidden within the realms of, uh, or with, within the being of the mushrooms, of, of the fungi. And we are taking in that information and integrating it into our system. Hmm. So it seems very abstract, but science has already begun to, to prove these kind of things. And what an um, exciting time for uh, you and I to be alive where we're on the frontier of where science is catching up with the realm, the mystical realm, and they're backing each other up. It's incredible. It's it's incredible. I truly believe we live in the most fascinating time in human history. And it's I always go back to folks like even from like an investment standpoint, people like Nicholas Nassim Taleb and Ray Dalio talk about like a black swan event and that the future is likely to be very different from the past. So it's it's hard to wrap your head around, but once the implications of the zero point energy field are incorporated into our technology, once communication lines are open with extraterrestrial civilizations, everything changes. But while we're waiting for that change to come, and it and it is coming, most certainly, while we're waiting for that change to come, it's people like you and I that are carving out and helping to build that that new bright future that we want to see. And this goes into how to fight with love. I was aggressive for many, many years because I did not like what I was seeing in the world around me. And now what you and I are doing right now, we're helping, we're waging a war, a war of light, a war of love, a war of magic and healing. And um, it's just growing brighter every single day. And I have faith. It is. I love it. And I'm uh, really appreciate you saying those kind words and getting to work on this with you. Now, I want to go back to who is Dr. Greer? And can you give a little bit about, you know, what were the evidence that he, pre- what was the evidence that he presented initially in Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, the documentary, and then subsequently his, his later materials that convinced you this isn't some lunatic who's telling me to go out into the woods and contact people who aren't there, right? Like, what was it that convinced you that, hey, this could actually be real? Well, I think in the beginning, at least, when you're watching some of his footage that he uh, he put out in a few of these documentaries, I've always been a person that I need to, regardless of how much I tune in and tap into other things, I've always had this scientific mind where I need to experience something fully. And so seeing some of the most incredible documented footage of the these beings coming in and interacting with some of the members of their groups it's it's absolutely astounding the first time you watch it every single person if you're interested in the topic should go out and go on amazon and and rent close encounters of the fifth kind his dr greer's background began as a medical doctor that was always interested in uh, deeply connected with Eastern religions and meditation. And he ended up through his connections, getting involved with the government. And um, he was there behind the scenes, informing these world leaders, um, at least the ones that the, our public knows about 
informing them about what is going on in our cosmos and what's going on in a lot of different realms that we as a society are completely unconscious of for the most part. And he's teaching to interact and go out and go forth with love to reach out to these other civilizations and not wait around for the government to wage some kind of a ridiculous war where they're pinning different races against one another, because let's call it like it is. Our past has been completely dictated about by drawing a line in the sand and saying why this group of people are the problem or that group of people. And we could be facing a future where that same energy is continuing on through the universe. And that's the worst thing that could happen. And we're here to, and Dr. Greer is here to help us connect and help us reach out and start that friendship now and establish the connection because they're here to help us. They're here to love us. They're here to help us realize who we are, what our true power is, and to help heal this earth, our planet, our home, Mother Gaia. It's really powerful stuff, but it's exciting. I mean, it just, to your point earlier about the momentum building, it feels like you can really actually see it building. And I think it is all grounded in the power of thought and of conscientiousness and of meditation and of spirituality in the actual quantum physics of how entangled waves create this positive coherence effect that makes it stronger and stronger and you get this resonation of frequency and of thought that really just starts to pick up steam and, and accelerate on an exponential rate so it's it's really exciting and you know you see that work in reverse too right like i think a lot of the rougher elements that have shown themselves more visibly in american society over the last several years right that have taken advantage of mob mentality right have I've used that to the detriment. Yeah, it's the um, it's the shadow side coming out of the collective unconscious. It's it's exactly what each and every one of us are doing. If you're doing the work, that is, we are doing on an individual level. Well, that same purging and healing is what's happening on a global and societal scale because we're all connected. There's no you and I. And so on a larger level that we can go into later on. And um, as each and every one of us begin to heal and release that darkness, it's as if the world is going through their own massive version of the dark night of the soul. But you can't heal what you can't feel. And it's just our world is feeling it now. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. Earlier, you talked about earth magic, candle magic, and high magic. And I would love if you would just dive into what each of those mean. It's all very funny to me at this point. When you're digging into that kind of thing and that kind of practice in the beginning, it's very easy to get lost in the uh, the ritualistic nature of the individual tools and the steps and the things needed to raise our vibrations to naturally be able to manifest whatever it is that we wish to achieve. The funny thing is, is that it all of the, how actually even my Reiki master was talking about the connection between Reiki and witchcraft. It's the same thing. 
all of the things that the religions are pointing to across the world, all of the different esoteric practices, spiritual practices, magic practices and rituals, they are all pointing to the same thing. The only thing that really matters is our intent and our consciousness. All of the herbs and tools and candles and ritualistic aspect is to inspire us, really. It's there to help get us in that meditative state and that meditative frequency to be able to actually bring forth what it is that we're looking to achieve. So you can spend years being lost in all of these rituals, which is great. I mean, do it. Go forth and all of the, all of the baby witches are out now on, on TikTok. More power to you. Just don't <laughs> tell you single thing is true that you'll learn on the internet. Find your own truth, what really does speak to you and get influenced. And my path has been influenced by paganism, witchcraft, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, different uh, philosophies like Stoicism. I am never, you're never going to find me subscribing to one particular religion or spiritual life path. I want to learn as much as possible and just take the bits and pieces that the hints that they're all pointing to the same thing, our consciousness, our Mm -hmm. thought, our own power. We are manifestations of the highest light of the universe. And we are powerful, powerful beings, if not gods. And when you realize that, You don't necessarily need the ritualistic work that you are doing in the beginning when you are aligned with your true self. So that's the connection between all the religions, meditation, magic. The only thing that I will say is, is that, and again, this dips into plant medicine territory is, is that the real world practical nature of using these herbs, specific herbs for all different kinds of remedies and spiritual experiences, they're most certainly there as tools to help us. And you've used the term magic a few times. And I was listening to a podcast recently with this expert on Mayan wisdom, Solvig Barrios. And this quote was, magic is just technology that lets us connect with energy. That says everything that I was trying to say. That's beautiful. And it's cool too, because when you think about that in practical terms, right, this iPhone a hundred years ago would be considered magic because they didn't know how to tune into telecommunications waves at that point in time. And so a lot of these spiritual traditions that we're learning from and these extraterrestrial civilizations, if you'll suspend your disbelief so far as to believe in them, that They've just figured out how to tune into other forms of energy, namely consciousness, that we as a homo sapiens civilization have just not yet figured out, or at least have lost the use of. 100%. We're just remembering and relearning a lot of these old skills and technologies from the ancient past and from the very far future as well. Think of of the power of crystals the the way that they help you align and tune in with a higher frequency again it's just another form of tool now extrapolate that by millions of years of evolution and development from these other beings they're able to 
put that and utilize that kind of frequency, vibration, and consciousness in with their physical technology. And that's how they're able to manipulate a lot of the matter around them and materialize this. This dips into a lot of the other ancient practices in Hinduism. Magic powers are referred to as sedis. And um, these are the type of things that that is, is well documented in books like the Bhagavad Gita that you, um, as you are meditating and aligning with yourself, some of these natural powers start to unfold. The power of inner sight, the power of clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, all kinds of things. I, I'd like to share an interesting story related to this because these are very recent developments for me. Absolutely, um, please do. Yeah, if you'd like to hear it here. So within the last month or so, I had found myself in very deep states of meditation, simply releasing, letting go. And uh, nothing too powerful necessarily came in, no major visions or anything like that. But I felt peaceful and I felt like I was time to get out of the, of the state and come back into regular consciousness. First thing I wanted was a drink of water. And on my nightside table was my, uh, my glass crystal bottle that's infused with citrine because <laughs> I'm that kind of hippie. <laughs> and um, I go to reach for the bottle and very gently, and it instantly snapped. The glass broke and shattered and snapped in a perfect circle into two pieces with the lightest of touches and just shot water in every direction. And I, whoa, it, I was not expecting that at all. That was shocking, frankly. And I thought, okay, that's a little bit of a weird experience. I'm, I'm coming out of the meditative state and there was a lot of energy flowing through me. I felt the high vibration going through my body and it needed somewhere to go. And when I touched it with my fingers, our energetic um, processing point, if you will, our right hand is for, is for, gathering energy and affecting our will our left hands are for releasing energy so i thought that was strange when i when i broke the glass a couple nights later back in a meditative state doing my work my routine i come out of it and i'm a little hungry so i go to the kitchen to just warm up a piece of toast in the oven i go to open the little glass front door of, of the toaster and my toaster rocks back and forth, shoots the door open, sparks fly, and it goes and just spontaneously breaks. Again, this was the first thing that I touched coming out of the meditative state. And I, I broke my toaster. I, again, I was like, okay, there's something to this. I'm I'm, I'm building up this energy in this meditative state and I'm not necessarily releasing it or putting it out into some, into a manifestation, into any transmission. I'm not doing anything with that stagnant energy. And it's so powerful. It needed somewhere to go. And it just kept wrecking my things. And um, wild. it's, uh, I think that's the starting of some of these um, power of movement, I suppose, with our conscious thought, the power able to affect our world around us. And I, I'm just as a uh, as a Reiki master, I'm playing with that and learning 
um, more and more every day. Mm-hmm. But I've um, I've seen some very interesting things that'll kind of make you uh, shock you a little bit in the moment. Wow. Well, and you've mentioned Reiki quite a number of times. So I'd love if you would explain what is Reiki healing and Reiki energy and how you, what has been your journey with Reiki? Absolutely. Every culture, most every culture on this planet, all the way from tribal civilizations up to, up to even past Catholicism that's now hidden, has a, a history of laying of hands to heal the laying of hands. Reiki itself is an amalgamation of Japanese Qui-Gong and other Hindu practices that spread its way through the East and got its major start healing wounded soldiers of World War II during the Battle of Pearl Harbor, actually. Wow. There was a Japanese energy healer who was living in Pearl Harbor at the time of the bombing witnessed the horror and death and devastation and wanted to use the power of consciousness and our natural God-given birthright uh, that we have of energy work inside of us. And Reiki is just a, they've honed it in into a, an attunement and as a practice of healing and asserting our will and consciousness upon our reality. So it's magic. You may be in every single town and see a signs for a Reiki practice. And I think people go by it and dismiss it or don't even think about it as a magical <laughs> energetic source type practice. This goes into the power of consciousness and quantum physics and uh, entanglement in the sense that there is distance Reiki where I don't have to be physically presence, present with the patient that I'm trying to heal. I am connecting to their source energy, no matter what, what point they are in the universe or on the planet. I'm connecting with that, and I am channeling healing energy through me into them. People think that Reiki or energy healing is giving of themselves. And I've actually been mentoring a few people on this subject who are not fully ready to go into the practice, but they they want to learn more. They found themselves giving of their own life and healing, incredibly healing some of the people in front of them. However, they walk away from, from the session drained, tired, vulnerable, energetically, and they can't explain it. Well, they are giving of their own life essence, where when Reiki, when you are in attunement with that, or you not necessarily are even a full Reiki master, you know to get your energy from the unlimited source of creation, light, love, and healing from the universe. That's what you're doing. You are just a a conduit for that higher power channeled down through you, through your consciousness into the patient. And um, it's very much backed up by wow. what our scientists are now categorizing and quantifying in quantum physics. How does Reiki tie into the chakra system? That's our energetic source inside of us. The seven major chakras that a lot of people are aware of 
rising from the root of our being at very more dense energies. Would you walk through those? Because I don't know if everyone who's listening is going to be familiar with the system. Absolutely. The chakra system is our energetic point of source within us, connecting us to the universe. We are energetic beings of light. We are not this body. This body is a, uh, it's a vehicle. It's a vehicle for consciousness. And just like a vehicle, it needs to in attunement and it needs fuel. Our fuel is energy. So the energetic system starts at a lower level in what I could call maybe our no-no area (laughs) and then works our way up through the body. You may be familiar with the term as above, so below in from a uh, pagan type standpoint, way of looking at things. So if our lower chakras, our lower vibrational energies are not in tune with our higher chakras that come from a very higher place connecting us like a radio signal to that source energy. If they're not in alignment, then there's a whole range of emotions and dis-ease that can come out of that. Not just disease, but dis-ease for the entire body. The first chakra is red energy in a very lower place called the root. Working our way up from the lower half of the body would be the sacral chakra, that's orange energy. The point of the color system is a reference point for the energy worker to be able to attune and pick up and work with that individual energy center. It's not that there is a natural glowing color emanating out of us. It's more from an energetic side, from our auric field, our the spirit laid inside of us. And Bryce, do you happen to know, is that native to like the ancient Vedic tradition to have those colors associated or is that a more recent phenomenon? It's absolutely is directly taken from the Vedic teachings, which I hope that we can get into the use of the Hindu ritual of of utilizing the pujas in meditation later on, but that's a different topic. But that's most certainly the root of our human understanding of the, uh, the chakra system. Number three, moving along, is the solar plexus right about here in the center of the body, not in the center of the chest. That's yellow golden energy. Heart chakra, very easy, right in the center of our chest here to know. That's green energy. And what's interesting is, and science is also beginning to understand this, that you may be familiar with the stomach and the heart are our other brains. They're actually, the heart sends more signals to the brain than the brain actually sends neurons to the heart. Interesting fact. And it says a lot about how we feel and where our intuition comes from when you feel it in your heart, when you feel it in your stomach. Moving along, the throat chakra, blue energy, it's all about speaking our truth into existence, recognizing our own power, and being able to express that in the world. One of the last major seven would be the third eye, violet energy, directly from here, 
our source of insight and inspiration. The pineal gland, that real world organ that's centered directly in the center of our brains, that has been reflected throughout the ages by the ancient Egyptians is a great example. The eye of Horus actually looks very similar to the shape of our real world pineal gland hidden inside. Final major chakra would be the crown, which is pure violet purple light energy just above our heads. It's actually not a part of the physical body here. And that's the truest channel to the universe and the highest source. It comes down through that chakra into the pineal, into the knowing, and it all incorporates. The last thing that I want to really get out about the chakra system is, is that those are the seven major chakras that are widely most recognized. But in fact, we have 108 minor chakras, including the major seven that go all the way from the palms of our hands down out of our system. And some of them, like the crown, are even located around us near our auric field. Fun little fact, Buddhists, you may have seen them carrying sandalwood beads. Do you know why they do that? I have, but I don't know why. There's 108 beads on the link. When you're in a deep state of meditation and aligning our 108 chakras, you can count one, two, three, all the way up to 108. And then do they count back down or they just start over? Just like everything, baby, in this whole existence, it's uh, the Samadhi wheel. You just keep going. So when you are working with a patient, will they tell you what's bothering them and then you work on that specific chakra or what does your process look like in that scenario? Yeah, it most certainly starts in a way that is very similar to going and uh, filling out your information from a, a doctor, except that we're not just addressing the physical symptoms, we're addressing emotional as well. So I'll, I'll give them a little brief form to fill out questionnaire to see where they're at. And then typically spend about 30 minutes to even an hour in a little bit of an interview process. That way we can align together and really I can get a better understanding of where they're coming from, which will tell me what chakra I need to work on. Got it. That's great. And how were you initially introduced to that healing modality? That was during the time of my searching and my seeking for answers for relief from my autoimmune disease symptoms. You know, I, that was the point where Western medicine had failed me the way it has so many other people and I had to go searching for other answers. And one of them that naturally came up was energy healing. And one of the major paths of healing and how I knew I was starting to feel better was not only do I feel better, now I must go forth and and share this with the world and be able to help heal other people. There is no abundance in this world, whether we're talking about money or healing or any of the good things that we're all searching for, all of that is bunk if it's not shared. Well said. And thank you for coming on here and sharing about this stuff because it's certainly not easy. And it's, we live in a society that a lot of these topics are very stigmatized. And so speaking publicly about them certainly carries a a lot of courage. So thank you for doing so. Thank you, Jordan. I'm, I'm absolutely honored.
So you've used the term connected to source, and I would like to know what the word source means to you and why you use that phrase. It's something that has taken a long time for me to become comfortable with. How do you go from being a person who denies a higher existence because they're denying themselves, they are depressed and feel disconnected? How do you go from being that person that does not have faith in themselves whatsoever to having faith on the grand scale of the kind of creativity that creates worlds? Well, when you start to acknowledge your true power within yourself, the power and love of creation that exists all around us every single day, whether you recognize it or not, you by default, have to acknowledge a greater power. And God, for me, well, for one thing, I almost never utilize the word God. I'm more comfortable with the great spirit. In my prayer work, I'll say things like, thank you to the great spirit of, of existence. But it's, the, it's pure source consciousness and energy that's beyond form and understanding. I believe that we could spend multiple lifetimes and have spent multiple lifetimes trying to understand that source to the fullest way. And we're still scratching the surface. And I believe we always will be to a certain degree. We are a piece in a part connected to that higher source of creation, whom I choose to call the great spirit. That is our spiritual and energetic source. We all come from that same energy. And that's actually, for a long time, little cliche things in the realm of new age and spirituality. I avoided terms like namaste, for instance, until I realized what that actually meant. Namaste means the God in me bows and acknowledges the God in you. And we, in the best case scenario, should be able to go through life and see that source of creation in every single interaction and in every single being reflected back at us. And that's uh, coming from a prior angry atheist. And <laughs> would love to understand what, what was it about your upbringing that made you not just maybe reject kind of the, the institution, but just the theology of it initially too. Our society, we are living in a prison without bars, prison made up of rules and to a certain degree, mind control in the sense that we're being molded from the second that we drop down here into this existence to think a certain way, to be a certain way and to assimilate. And unfortunately, one of the major tools of our oppression is religion, major religion, organized religion. And that's what I saw from the very beginning as a young soul in this lifetime. And I mentioned hypocrisy. I would go to church and I would see before anything else, the pastor comes in and says, I want to rain down the money. And it's, it's all about the tithings and just pushing back into the church. Meanwhile, he's sitting there speaking over a group of desperate people that are searching for something that are ill, disconnected, and impoverished. 
And yet all they want is, is more and more and more why the, while the pastor is growing his bank account and collection of cars. I can't stand that. I believe that if Christ was incarnate or Lord Buddha was here on this earth, they would be absolutely disgusted by the majority of the large religions like that. And I knew it. I knew it from on a deep level that I could not fully express into words. But turn on your news every single night and look on Facebook and other social media platforms. And it's just people manifesting and continuing the suffering, disconnection, and aggression against one another because they are unconscious. And I never liked the term waking up, but that's exactly what it means. That's a great, great way to put it. Another term you've used a few times was witchcraft. And I'd love to get a better understanding of what that means to you. Again, the ancients, they were tuning in on a, uh, on a DNA level to their world. The sort of things that we go beyond seeing, again, because of our unconscious state. When was the last time that you actually sat down and looked at a tree, looked at an insect, looked at a power growing out in nature, and really, really, truly acknowledged it for what it is and really sat present with it. That's what the ancient people were doing. And unfortunately, we need little boxes to be able to put concepts into our very human brains. And that's the roots of paganism and witchcraft. It's a lot of it, a lot of the light workers and energy healers of today, they would be burned at the stake if it was 100, 200 years ago, things like that. I'm not acknowledging darker forces and I'm not brushing them off that there have been practitioners of dark magic and asserting will of control upon others, but that's certainly not all of us. And um, that's not my goal. My goal and so many other people's goals are healing and love and making this world the utopia that it should be. That's great. You know, that's one thing that I think can be scary for people. It's a great topic you bring up of this dark energy, this dark matter. And, you know, one thing I, I kind of compare it to is that the power of light, of healing, of love is always going to be more powerful than the dark, right? So even back to the discussion earlier of the rate of consciousness growth and conscious evolution, is more powerful on the good, even when it works on the negative, right? It's, it's the same way with these new technologies. And so I think, and those effects, I think really amplify on one another in the sense that the more our consciousness collectively evolves, the less likely any individual in society is to want to leverage these new technologies or rediscovered technologies for the darker forces. Absolutely. Why would you want to? When we live in a world where healthcare and free energy that's not destroying our planet and the societal control and limitations, when those things dissolve and we're able to go back to what we're really truly supposed to be on this earth, then why would you need violence? Why would you need aggression or any of the things that people are reacting out of. And that 
also bleeds over in the realm of the energetics. You don't need darker forces when you are in alignment with love and light. Mm-hmm. There, uh, I want I want to make a point here, you know, because even Dr. Greer during our few days with him in Colorado acknowledged some of these lower vibrational energies that have the ability to come into our world. The thing is, the power that those things and energies feed off of is fear itself. And if there is no fear from us and from the collective conscious of these darker, lower vibrational energies, then they have no no power over us whatsoever. It's another manifestation of our own shadow side in this realm. And as a matter of fact, we should be grateful for it. We should be equally humble and grateful for the darkness because how can you acknowledge and really appreciate the light if you haven't been in the darkness? Wow. That's great, Bryce. That was really fantastic. You know, one, uh, one final thing I'd love to ask about before I let you go tonight. I'm curious if when you mentioned the profound vision you had earlier, when you saw a wolf, a jaguar, and a bear, do those animals have any specific significance to you? Did, did they either prior to or subsequently to that vision? I'll be completely honest. I haven't dug deeper yet. This is a, a newer development with the spirit animals coming in. The only thing I can say is that now when I'm expressing my gratitude daily, they are on my list of beings and forces that I'm grateful for. But I haven't interacted with them in that powerful of a way since. The only thing that I can go back to saying is, is there was this soul connection that goes beyond this lifetime and time period. This remembering that just was pure family love energy. I don't know if that means that that was another life that I had experienced as one of these animals together. I mean, it's kind of a little odd to think about a jaguar, a wolf, and a bear all being best friends in the forest. It's very Disney in a sense. But in the astral realms, the way that we look at the world is completely different. And um, it's not necessarily a representation of what actually was experienced in another lifetime, but it could be very similar. I'm still learning on, on that front. And you mentioned spirit animals and you talked about your spirit guides earlier as well. And so could you um, expand on what that is conceptually and, and how you first communicated or connected or, you know, found them? Absolutely. And this, this might be the kind of story to uh, really wrap things up on. I want to preface all of this, that in the last few months, I've been consciously working on astral projection. My reason and motivation behind that is I had a spontaneous experience that, that pushed me, my light body out into the astral after a meditation and, um, was extremely jarring and um, exciting. And it's something that you will just have to experience yourself. And we consciously do and uh, are able to do that with our uh, own intention. So I've been slowly over the last couple of years trying to get back to that and be able to experience it intentionally. The reason that I have a connection with my guides or ancestors and other spiritual beings that are just beyond our our veil of perception is because of this spontaneous astral projection experience, I 
got to be in that form and understand what that's like now. So in my regular waking life, the main form of communication between our guides, aside from doing the vision work and the meditation work, is working with pendulums. Pendulum is a beautiful tool to be able to allow beings on the other side for good or bad, for better or worse, to be able to communicate with us. It's all about where your vibration is and who you're tuning into. I choose to tune into the light and I receive guidance on everything from the food that I should, that is the most optimal to put into my body all the way to whom I should interact with and whether it will be safe and within my best interest. Um, I consult them for everything and I encourage others to do so. Go out, get a pendulum, learn how to use the pendulum, and then get a, they have guidebooks that allow us to be able to navigate all of the different questions where this pendulum can swing to multiple different answers to give us insights into our daily lives. But all of the root of that began with this, uh, this experience. Like I said, I was having a panic attack in a deep state of anxiety one night. And I knew the best way to fix that was to go into a meditative state. So cats are, there's a reason why the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians considered them gods and guardians of the underworld. They give off very loving, healing, protective energies. So I sat down and laid my head on my cat Poe at the time. And he immediately started to purr and to give off this healing vibration that I was tuning into. And it almost instantly washed over me and cured the, uh, the panic attack that I found myself in. The pro tip for anyone who experiences anxiety, because it can be awful. As I'm going deeper into this meditative state, I began to feel the vibrations project out from me into the space surrounding my body in my bedroom. As I began to feel that, I began to feel a lift from myself in a way. And it was my consciousness, my light body pulling away from my physical body. Before you know it, I found myself, I guess about a thousand feet above the air in my neighborhood at night, above all of the other homes. And because of our powers that we have in the astral, I was feeling people arguing in their homes, people sleeping, people reading, watching TV. And it was as if I could just feel all of the energy of all of these other people surrounding me in my neighborhood. It went on for, and, and not just feel it, I'm physically, I'm there. I'm seeing this as well. And I knew enough grounding technique at the time to be able to pull myself back in because I knew it was too much for me at the time. I was feeling very overwhelmed and I just consciously grounded myself back to my body, back to Mother Gaia. And I found myself meditating back in my room again. Like I said, I, I haven't fully wow. achieved it consciously since, but that's, those are 2022 goals. That's awesome. Well, that is a fantastic goal. And uh, I look forward to hearing your success story in 2022 and to getting to do another CE5 with you here soon. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Very awesome, much. Bryce. Thanks again for doing this. And uh, 
be in touch soon. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. I wanted to end this conversation by diving further into the Close Encounters classification system. The system was originally developed by Dr. J. Allen Hynek, a physics professor at The Ohio State University. Dr. Hynek was selected to direct Project Blue Book, which was the program run by the U.S. Air Force to study UFOs from 1952 to 1969, and was created in no small part as a result of the Roswell incident in 1947. Project Blue Book had two goals, to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. At the end of the project, the Condon Report concluded that the study of UFOs was unlikely to yield major scientific discoveries, which is why Project Blue Book was terminated in 1969. However, Dr. Hynek later admitted that the true purpose of the project was to debunk all legitimate UFO sightings. And so anyways, here's the classification that Dr. Hynek developed while leading Project Blue Book. Close encounters of the first kind, defined as visual sightings of an unidentified object seemingly less than 500 feet away that show an appreciable angular extension in considerable detail. Close encounters of the second kind, a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, a physiological effect such as paralysis, or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, aka crop circles, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation, or a chemical trace. Close encounters of the third kind. UFO encounters in which an animated creature is present. These include humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. Steven Spielberg directed a 1977 film by this name, which is one of the rare movies that thankfully portrays human and ET interactions in a positive light instead of one in which humans just get their asses kicked. Dr. Hynek served as Spielberg's technical advisor to the film and actually makes a brief cameo towards the end of it. Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind This category was defined by Jacques Vallée, one of Hynek's associates, who was also the inspiration for the character Claude Lacombe in Spielberg's movie. CE4 is defined as a UFO event in which witnesses experienced a transformation in their sense of reality, which would include alien abductions. Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. This category was subsequently added by Dr. Stephen Greer, the founder of the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. CE5 is a prototype hybrid project which has scientific research and diplomatic interspecies relations components. In this UFO event, it is humans who are initiating peaceful bilateral contact with the ETs through conscious, voluntary, and proactive, cooperative communication. Dr. Greer used this classification category as the name of his 2020 documentary. And so Bryce and I chatted quite a bit during this episode about CE5 experiences, 
But I've also been thinking a lot about CE4 experiences lately. And when we hear about this idea of alien abduction, people tend to think of these experiences as a person's physical body being taken on board an alien craft or to a distant planet. But the more I've learned about people who've had these experiences, the more this perception of the concept appears to me to be overly simplistic and and even inaccurate in most cases. I believe that many of these abduction experiences would be more accurately described as ET human interactions in transcendental states of consciousness, and that many of these so-called abduction events are more akin to what Dr. Stan Groff has defined as a holotropic experience that brings a person to a higher state of consciousness and helps them connect more closely to their true self. Other examples of holotropic experiences would include holotropic breathwork, deep meditation, ego dissolution during a psychedelics trip, astral projections, and near-death experiences. And then when we start to consider that all of these experiences are legitimate and may in fact just be various manifestations of the experience of non-locality of consciousness then hopefully we can stop dismissing the people who have claimed to have these CE4-type experiences and start listening to what they learn from those beings.